All right, take your Bibles this morning and make your way to Matthew 4. You are going to need your Bibles. So I don't believe I put these on the screen. I said, did I say Matthew? Y'all pray for me. Yes, thank you. But especially this week as I'll be going to camp with a bunch of our young people. Um, I'm, I don't even know how many. Three, four, five, and then they've invited friends. Six, seven, eight, nine. I think there's ten going all together to senior camp. I, I can't remember when we had such a big group. So praise the Lord for that. All right. Title of the teaching today. Uh, Jay, can you turn me down just a little bit? Um, title of the teaching today is Can You Hear Me Now? Any of you remember that commercial? Yeah. For Verizon. Yeah. And then that guy broke his contract, or his contract ran out, and then he went with another company. Uh, that same character that did that. Can you hear me now? I want to ask you a question this morning. Um, and it's just one simple question. How's your hearing? Mine is, is going. Um, I actually got a hearing test last year. And I thought for sure the guy's going to tell me you need hearing aids. And he said, no, you don't need hearing aids, but your, your hearing loss is consistent with your age. And then he said, it won't be long. I'm like, what won't? Hearing aids or the grave? What is he talking about? It won't be long. <laughs> kind of hurt my feelings. I was kind of glad I didn't need hearing aids. But that other part hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, yeah, how's your hearing? Jesus, through Mark's gospel... And the parable we're going to introduce, and all we're going to do is introduce it today, is going to begin, this is interesting, you might jot this down somewhere, we'll talk about it again in a minute. He's going to begin and end the parable with the same word, and it's the word listen. The very first ministry that my wife and I worked in together, she was still in Adrian, she was just my girlfriend at the time was in Central Falls, Rhode Island, a heavily Latino community, mostly people from Puerto Rico. And those Puerto Rican mamas had a word uh, that they would say. And it wasn't the word, it was how they said it. You didn't even have to know Spanish to know what it meant. And their, their, young, their kids would be running around or something, they say, mira. And as soon as they said that, it means hear or listen. It means hear. It's an attention getter, mira. And boy, as soon as she said that, all the kids in the park turned and looked at all the mamas, right? And, and that's an attention getter. That's what Jesus is doing here as he opens this parable. Someone once wisely said, God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you should hear twice as much as you say. Um, interestingly enough, that word listen shows up ten times in Mark 4. Yeah, that's exactly right, Tom. When I, when I counted all those up, I was like, wow. You know, Mark is the immediate gospel, right? Mark's, Mark's the action guy, super fast. And yet, this is not just immediately. Now he's saying, listen immediately, right? Uh, and and I'm gonna, I'll share more with you about that later. This thing shows up a lot more, this word, later on in, in the, uh, the gospel of Mark. This section that we're getting into now in Mark chapter 4 is the longest teaching section in Mark. Mark very much so records far more of Jesus' actions, what he did, than his teachings, what he said. 
with this major exception. So I think that, says, that should say something to us. That's a red flag or a highlighter. He must have included this section for a very, very specific important reason. I think he did. And it's that reason I want to try to share with you today. Um, so he opens up a section of teaching. He's going to tell some several parables back to back. And we're going to look at that today. And you'll notice in your outline um, that it starts with number one, but there's no number two. That's because all of that will come next week. Uh, number one is the setting. Next week, number two will be the sower, then the seed, and then the soil, and then the solution. Um, so today, I really just want to do kind of a, there was so much in here. I want to have mercy on you poor people and not preach till two. Plus, I've got to take a bunch of kids to camp. So um, I, I decided to really just do, do the introduction right. So here's something to think about. Jesus will begin and end the parable we're about to look at with the command, and it's in the imperative tense, which means it's a command to listen. Just like those Latino mamas in Central Falls, Rhode Island, when they would say, mira, everybody looks. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Listen. He starts by saying, listen, and he ends by saying, listen. You know what's the sad truth is? 75% of the crowd heard, but they didn't hear. In the application, you probably can go ahead and figure it out. What percentage are we? How's our hearing today? I read this, I shared it with my son this week, uh, just today, because I really thought it was interesting. W.M. Taylor, it's an old preacher from years gone by, said this. He said, uh, it is... He said this, eloquent hearing is indispensable to effective preaching. It is as necessary that listeners should be taught how to hear as it is that preachers should be taught what or how to speak. When's the last time you heard a sermon about how to hear a sermon? We need it. How's your hearing? So that's kind of what I want to try to do today is, is, is to give you Jesus' take on how to hear a sermon and how to, how to hear the Word of God. Boy, this is super important. So the first thing, let's just jump right in and let me give it to you. The first thing is point number one. The rest of the points will come next week. We'll have a bunch of points under number one. Is the setting. The setting. Verses one through three. And I'm going to actually have to open my Bible because I did not put these on the board like I normally do. And by the way, I did that for a reason. I want you to bring your copy of God's Word, not your phone. If you got your phone, that's fine, right? That's okay. I do it. When I get to sit under preaching, okay, confession time. When I get to sit under preaching, which I love, by the way, I have not only my Bible with super giant print, but I also have my phone open because I like to read it in a couple of different versions. And then I have a couple of websites that help me look at the Greek language behind it. Because that's how I actively listen. So for you to actively listen, you need your copy of God's Word, whether that be your phone or a Bible. But if you would open it to chapter 4. Um, let's look at the setting. 
I'm going to read verses, just verses 1 through 3. And again, note that word again, he began to teach by the sea. So that's not the first time he's done that. And a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Can you kind of see that in your mind? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a visual in a minute and maybe help us unpack that a little bit. Verse 2. Then he taught them many things. Now underline this if you've got your own Bible. By parables. That word parable is so significant here. And he said to them in his teaching. And again, he's teaching by what? Parable, parable which is a story. I'm going to get into that in a second. And just verse 3. Listen. I can still hear... I can still hear those Latino mamas. Mira, listen. And then he adds to that an intensifier. Behold, a sower went out to sow. All right? So a farmer went out to throw out his seed, in other words. So letter A under there is the press in verse number one, the press. And I don't mean the press that uh, tries to get you to, to, to think a certain way. I mean the press of people. <laughs> I'm not talking about CNN or Fox. Uh, the only fox they had was Herod, the fox, and he was called that by John Baptist. Uh, and it was, it, there, there was no networks. There was word of mouth, and it was working. And it worked so well that, that there were so many people here. And the Bible says that they, he, they were, Jesus was in a small boat offshore just a little bit. And, and I've seen pictures of this area. Uh, we know he had just been in Peter's house the big press, we're going to talk about what had just happened in a minute. It's going to become very significant with the parable. But all that being said, uh, Jesus, right outside of Peter's house, down, down the path a little bit to the seashore or the giant lake, uh, is, is, is the mountains come down pretty steeply. And then you have the water. And it, what it creates is a natural amphitheater. If you can picture it. They say that a man could sit in a boat 10 feet off the shore and he can be heard by about 8,000 people spread out over that whole mountainside talking in a normal voice. I was sitting at the Lake Wildwood Beach one time on the dock and I could hear a conversation that was not just across the lake but across and over. had to be several hundred yards. They were talking in a normal voice. I can hear everything they said. That's scary. That is scary, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your voice carries, and I'm talking in a normal voice. You can hear every word. Right? So this was a perfect situation, and there were most likely there were thousands, several thousand people gathered because by this time his popularity has exploded. And why has it exploded? Mostly because of the miracles, unfortunately. Now, miracles were wonderful. But the miracles, if I've taught you anything, I hope you've heard this. The miracles were always secondary to the message. But what ended up happening, and it happens so much today, is that the people endured and put up with the message in order to see the miracles and, and, and benefit from the miracles. And, and can I just say here, how many, times, how many times do we come to the Lord seeking his hand and not his face? Seeking what we can get from God instead of just seeking God himself. It's normal and natural. 
But that's what happens. Several thousand people. And the crowd is a mixed crowd. Of those seven, several thousand people there, if we take the percentages in this parable, and I think you probably could safely do it, only 25% of the crowd were true followers. Only 25% of those several thousand people were there to seek the face of the Messiah and not the hand of the Messiah. Right? There's a message there for us. Number two, or letter B, is the parable. So, so that's the setting. It's a natural amphitheater, speaking from a boat that would amplify his voice. Several thousand people could hear him easily. And most of them were enduring the message to get to the miracles. It was a mixed crowd. Probably only 25% of them were there really for the, to, be, to follow the king. Then letter B is the parables themselves in verse number two. Then he taught them many things by parables. And he said to them in his teaching. All right. So here's the definition of parable. In the Greek language, um, the definition uh, is, or the word is parabolo. And it's two words. Para or para means beside or near. Um, you think of a parachurch organization like the Gideons, para means alongside the church, parachurch, right? Uh, Linda, don't they have in your school something called a parapro, right? That means they're not the professional teacher, but they're a helper that comes alongside the professional teacher. I, I thought I had heard that term somewhere before, okay? So a parapro, it means to come alongside or near. And balo means to throw or to cast, isn't that interesting? So what is a parable? A parable is, is something physical that people can relate to that comes alongside of something spiritual that they can't. That makes sense? It's an illustration. Um, I put it this way. I thought this was a pretty, I came up with this myself as I was thinking about it. I, I kind of like this definition. A parable is a story that you don't get let me stop. I got that wrong. A parable is a story that you get to reveal a truth that you don't. Right? It's just an everyday illustration uh, is what it is. It's the physical illustration that reveals a spiritual reality. And there is, I'm going to get into that in a minute, but there is a reason that Jesus shifts a major gear in the parables, going to par parabolic teaching versus straight out kingdom gospel. He's, he's about done talking straight to people. And he's shifting a major gear. And now he is going to go to something quite different. So that's the definition of a parable. And now we're going to see, and this we're going to find this out, why is this important? We're going to go to the number two is the importance of the parable. The importance of the parable. And the importance of this parable, um, number two, is that it is a paradigm parable. So we're going to do something a little bit weird. We're going, to, we're going to skip the parable itself and go down to verse 13. So Jesus tells them, and I'm assuming you're very familiar or vaguely maybe some of you are familiar with the parable of the soils and the seed. I'm going to unpack all that next week. Uh, so he tells them the story to, now remember, thousands of people. And then the Bible says, verse 10, but when he was alone, 
um, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parable. So it wasn't just the 12 that had a question. There were other followers of Jesus that weren't invited to be in an inner circle. Did y'all realize that? How many were in the upper room? Anyone remember that number? 120, right? Jesus' mom was there. Book of Acts tells us that, which I think is kind of interesting. So, so we probably have, you know, 100 people standing around. Well, and they're asking Jesus, so, so what did that mean? You know, I, I get sewing, and I got a feeling that someone was probably out there nearby when Jesus says, behold. I bet you near, near that land somewhere, they could look up on a plateau and a farmer's out there casting out seed. He said, look, look at that. And he tells a story about seed. They didn't get it. Look down in, in, in verse 13. And he said to them, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Don't you get it? How then will you understand, underline this in your Bible, all the parables? So this parable isn't just a parable. Write this down. This is the parable. Check it out. An understanding of this parable is a key that unlocks every other parable he's going to tell. And if you don't get this one, you're not going to get the rest. Tracking with that? You all here? Everybody's writing. That's good. I like to see that. This is a paradigm parable. It's kind of like the this is the lens through which you look. It's super important. And Jesus explains that this particular story is the, is the very key to understanding the rest of the story. So we gotta, we got to pay special attention to this. Jesus said, hey guys, if y'all don't get this one, you're not going to get the rest either. And then very kindly, because he is a, a good king, he explains it to them, which we'll, we'll get into that next week. But I just want you to see that the importance of this parable is not just any parable, it's the parable. That is the, 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 the glasses, the lens through which we need to look at the rest of the teaching of Jesus until he's on the cross. So this is super important. It has so much to say to us as believers, as followers of Jesus. So let me get to the letter C here, which is the purpose of this parable. Now this one's interesting. So he starts off by saying, listen and behold, a sower went out to sow. So get your ears on and then get your eyes open and imagine this with me, unless the guy actually was sowing right there, which I think maybe it could have been. All right. What is the purpose of all parables? And this one especially as the paradigm that's going to set the tone for all the parables. This is the reason Jesus would tell every parable from here on out. I like the Net Bible translation. and That stands for New English Translation. Um, you find that on the internet and your Bible apps, very good. Very good. They, they, they pay a lot of attention. And I think they really nail this one. Because in our Bible, New King James on verse 9, when he t finishes telling the story, he says, And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That means, you know, it almost sounds like, If you heard me, then hear me. Right? But the net, the NET Bible gets it. Look what it says. And he said to them, whoever has ears to hear had better listen. Doesn't that sound a little different? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear had better listen. You better not miss this. 
And you better have ears to not just audibly hear it, but to hear in the spirit what is actually being said and taught. Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, said this, a pair of good ears will drink dry a hundred tongues. <laughs> you had to love old Ben, huh? A pair of good ears will drink dry a hundred tongues. Jot this down in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4. Deuteronomy 6, 4. It's called the Great Shema. And uh, some of our children should remember that. I know that we've taught our kids over the years what that is. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But what's it start with? Hear. Hear. We need to inculcate. We need to understand and apply this truth. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mark begins and ends his parable with a present imperative command to hear. He ends with listen. He starts with listen, ends with listen. Super important. And write this down. It's not in your outline, but heeding is hearing. Heeding is hearing. You say, what does it mean to hear? You know you have heard when you do. Does that make sense? You know you have heard when you turn your hearing into action. And jot it down. You might turn there yourself to James's letter. All right, James chapter 1. Um, I think I must have just fallen out of my Bible. James is in here somewhere. That's why you always, by the way, when you ever get a chance to speak or preach, make sure you mark your verses. James chapter 1, <coughs> verse 21 to 25. If you're there, if you're there, say amen. All right, here's what it says. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. By the way, I, I, have, a, I have a temptation to preach that right here. But, but, but do notice something. Do, it, it's, it's our hearing is so dull. We read scripture almost like poetry and we don't assimilate it. It says, therefore, lay us, there's some stuff we got to lay aside if we're going to lay this in. Amen? All right. And he says, all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Look, you can't be full of sin and expect the word to find any fertile soil in your heart. Say amen or ouch. Right? And it's able. Here's why. Because only when, when, we, when we get rid of, when we lay that stuff aside, and that's it's the act of the will, willfully turn away from sin, and with meekness receive... The implanted word. That's the word of God. Amen. And what is the word of God able to do? Save your souls. It's able to rescue you. Rescue your life. And then he says this. Look at verse 22. But when you get this implanted word, here's what you do. Be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. Deceiving yourself. So if, you're, if you only hear it and don't do it, you're tricking yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, and continues in it. Think Psalm 119.11, your word have I hidden in my heart, what? That I might not sin against you, against God. 
continuing in the word. The word is in you and you continue in it. He is not a forgetful hearer. Look at this. But a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Hearing is heeding. I want to ask you, how is your hearing today? How are you hearing God's word preached from this pulpit? How are you hearing God's word as you read it every day with us in the same page summer? How's your hearing? Are you receptive? Charles Spurgeon rightly said, there are many who have ears who do not hear to any real purpose. There is the physical act of hearing, but they do not hear in the heart and in the mind. It is a very different thing to have an impression on the drum of the ear and to have an impression on the tablet of the heart. He that has ears to hear had better listen. Verse 9. I love that. It is a very different thing to have an impression on the drum of the ear and to have an impression on the tablet of the heart. At this point, I want to remind you of the context. And I, and I hope you're following along um, in our series in Mark. What has just happened? And I know it's, it's, uh, we took a break last week. What has just happened in Jesus' ministry? What was, what was the event that takes place at the end of chapter 3? All right, he calls the twelve, and then there's, a, there's one more teaching, and it's inside the house. And because it's inside Peter's house, these thousands of people won't fit. You remember that? And uh, scribes show up, and they can't deny his miracles. Matter of fact, they're the very people in the leadership that have to verify miracles like le cleansing of leprosy and demoniacs being delivered. They, they are literally verifying his miracles. So they can't argue with the result. So they're going to come up with a, with, with a new way to discredit Jesus. And say, no, he, he's doing all these things, but he's doing it by the power of Satan himself. He's in league with the devil. He's in league with the enemy. That's how he's doing all of these miraculous deeds. Remember what Jesus told him? Yeah, the Bible says there he tells them a parable. And I thought that was a little weird. So a parable isn't always long and complex like the one we're, we're getting ready to get into. Sometimes parables are short and terse and to the point. And in his parable, he tells them three things. He says, Satan can't fight against Satan. A kingdom divided against itself won't stand. And a house divided against itself won't stand. You can't fight yourself. A snake can't eat his tail and expect to survive. Right? That's what he's saying. And it's a story. And that story with the scribes and the Pharisees there was actually designed to be very plain for them to understand. Right? And then he tells them, basically, fellas, y'all are committing the unpardonable sin. You are attributing the righteous acts and verification miracles of the Messiah to the Antichrist, the Anti-Messiah, to the enemy of Messiah and God. And that will never be forgiven. And not to jump ahead to next week, but that 
is the pathway, the hardened ground that the seed cannot penetrate and the birds, which is Satan, come and snatch away. By the way, I'm just going to say this here. It's pretty cool. We'll do more next week. But, you know, the four soils he's going to talk about, every one of them are represented in chapter 3. So that just happened. And then, what, what, what do you remember at the end of chapter 3? Who shows up? His mom and his brothers. And they didn't show up to congratulate him. They showed up to arrest him. It's literally what the word is, to take Jesus by force because they thought he was crazy. Because he was saying things like, let your, sin, your sins are forgiven. Right? They were coming to take Jesus by force and get him some mental help. And the message gets to Jesus. Hey, your mom and brothers are out here. And what does Jesus say? Let me tell you who my mother and brothers and sisters are. Those who do the will of God. Think they're good soil. The good soil followers. That's my family. Right? You see it? What's that got to do with everything? I had to set that up in order for you to see this, this very difficult statement in verse 11 of chapter 4. So in, cha in verse 10, they ask him what this parable is about. The 12 and then all the others that were with him, probably 100 or so people, we don't know, but a percentage of that crowd. Uh, verse 11, and he said to them, to you, it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, right? To you faithful followers, but, and if you got your own Bible, circle that word, but. To those who are outside, all things come in, and circle this word, parables, stories that come alongside. Why? We talked in our discipleship group with the men this morning. Sometimes there's prickly truth that goes down hard. Here's another one. Look at verse 12. He quotes, directly quotes um, Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. I don't think I included that in your outline, but you should jot it down. This is, this is a, a, a quotation from there, from the old prophet of God. Why am I talking to these people? outsiders and parables and why am I giving you the secret of the parables here's why so that seeing they may not see and not perceive and hearing they may not hear and not understand now this is the scary part I want everybody to look at these words. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. What had he just told those religious leaders they had committed? Why is he talking in parables? Because if he didn't, they might believe and be forgiven and they could not because of what they had done. So he's going to talk in a mystery that it's going to be foolishness to outsiders, but to insiders, it's going to be life. Are you all with that? You should feel the way. That should scare you to death. That scares me. That's a fearful thing. And there's a lot of debate about that little word, so that. It's called a henna clause. And, and the question is, is that 
prescriptive or descriptive? Does that just describe what happens to a person because of their unbelief? Or does that prescribe unbelief? And I say the answer is both. <laughs> when you commit the unpardonable sins, it means it can't be pardoned. And you will, you will see and still be blind. You will hear and still be deaf. And brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you something. That should scare you to death. That scares me. I wonder if we are a church full of seeing blind and hearing deaf today. That's exactly what we should all be doing. So what is Jesus' purpose? And speaking parables. Only you are going to understand. Outsiders will not. So I wrote this down. I just I tried to just make it concise. But think about it this way. This is in your outline. On the heels of what he said, whoever has ears to hear, he better listen. Here it is. The purpose of Jesus speaking in parables to reveal... Kingdom truth to steadfast followers and to conceal kingdom truth from stated foes. I'll say it again. To reveal kingdom truth to steadfast followers and to conceal kingdom truth from stated foes. It was a judgment on 75% of that crowd starting with the religious leaders down to the thrill-seekers. Y'all following that? 75% of those people were not there to follow Christ. They were there to plan His destruction or to see a show. But they weren't there to take up their cross and follow Him. And Jesus says, listen, and hear this word today. How is your hearing? Jesus is saying, I have nothing to say to those on the outside. They're gonna, I'm going to lay out this plain truth, and they are not going to have a clue. Are you, are, are, you, are you seeking his hand or his face today with your life? I think it's a fair question. And a scary one. Now, here's something that dawned on me. Who else didn't get the parable? <laughs> Thank you. The inner crowd didn't get it either. Right? His own inner crowd of 12, plus the rest of the faithful followers, stayed for, you know, the after show. <laughs> and they got together with him and said, hey, super cool story. Loved it. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> right? And what does Jesus say? Basically, I'm going to explain it to you, because if you don't get this one, you got no hope of getting the others. And then it dawned on me. What did those early followers not have that you and I have? Holy Spirit. So they needed Jesus as a physical and spiritual representation. What does Jesus do? He unlocks it for them. Oh, don't miss this. Don't miss this. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? He unlocks this book for you. 
And if you sit around saying, I don't understand it, I don't understand it, I don't understand it, two things. Keep reading. Keep reading it. Because there's a blessing just for reading it. <laughs> and ask the Holy Spirit to open it to you. That's His job. Keep trying. Don't quit. Hide your word, His Word in your heart. And oh, when the eyes open, things change. So let me, let me just give you something here. A little bit different. This is not my normal way of doing things, but I just, my, this whole message is an introduction. And the question is, how's your hearing? How are you hearing God's Word in the preach Word? How are you hearing God's Word as you read God's Word every day? Let me share this with you from the same very old book, but these guys had some wisdom. Um, this is, uh, let's see, who did this one? This was R. Boyle. Here's what he said. He said, the qualities to be cultivated by gospel hearers. Here's some qualities that we need to cultivate. What's that mean to cultivate? When you cultivate something, first you get the ground ready, right? Guess it gets some, make sure all the weeds are out, stones are out. It's just something, you've got to work at this. And here are the qualities. They're not rocket science. He says the first quality is attention. We need to give attention. The good hearer stirs himself to listen. Is that what we do? Or do we sit in here reading books that aren't the Bible, being on phones that have nothing to do with God's Word, and parents of children, you must train. You don't let them do that. They can go home and read books. They can go home and, and play games on the phone. That's not, you, we need to train them to give attention to the Word of God. Attention is the first one. The good hearer stirs himself up to listen. He trains himself to follow the speaker. I'm going to shoot you straight. And those of you that know me know I'm not lying. I have an ADD on steroids. I've always had it. When I sit under preaching, you're going to notice something. I never, I rarely would sit with Elizabeth because she don't like to sit in the front. And when I, when, when I was a guest preacher in here, I sit right there. Why? You people distract me. It's not your fault. Everything distracts me. And if I'm going to give my full attention to the speaker, I have to see. I, I gotta, I'm going to limit my distractions. And you're going to notice, I will have my Bible open and I'll have a notebook. The last time I got to sit under preaching, it was under, under Pastor Eric, who was here. And I think I took seven pages of notes. Why? Because you're so spiritual? No. Because I have ADD so bad. If I don't take notes, I'm not with them. There's another reason for that. I'll tell you in a second. Hearing, his hearing is an opportunity and he takes care to make the most of it. That's so good, isn't it? Number two, meditation. This is what we don't do. So first of all, I don't think we always pay attention. Someone said, I'm so poor, I can't even afford to pay attention. Uh, we, we need to train ourselves and our children to pay attention. Number two is meditation. He says this, and I love their language. What he hears, he keeps by reflecting upon it and assimilating it for his own edification and growth in grace. Isn't that good? What he hears, he keeps by reflecting on it. Says Wilmot, proportion 
an hour's reflection to an hour's reading, and so dispirit the book into the student. In other words, if you read an hour and then stop and reflect for another hour, you will have the contents distilled into your soul. If you listen to a sermon that's 45 minutes to an hour, and then go home and spend 45 minutes to an hour reflecting and meditating on it, it's going to become a part of you. So I would say, says the writer, let every time of hearing be followed by a time of meditation, that the seed which has fallen on the soil may, as it were, be plowed into it by the process. Isn't that interesting? Now I'm going to tell you this, explain this in more detail next week, but in, in the first century, now, now what way we do gardening or, or, or farming today is you plow it up, and we even got machines that will then go over it even as you plow and drop the seeds in. Right, then there's another machine that goes over and lays the soil back over it. Not how they did it in the first century. In the first century, they just threw the seed all out there. And once the seed was on the ground, then they plowed it all under. And that's how it grew. All right? So this act of meditation, the, 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 the preaching of this sermon is just the first part. You would do well to attune your hearing to go home and, and immediately that day, the Lord's day, spend another hour meditating on what you've heard and then writing down the points that, that are personal to you, that, that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about. Talk to your spouse, to your partner, to your children, to your family, to your, to your deacons, to your friends who heard the same message. What did you get? Here's what I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? I'm going to meditate. I'm going to think about this. There's some verses I need to memorize. Do you see the difference? And I want to commend you. I, I'm not just getting after you. I want to commend you. You people write. You know, when I'm out there looking for a verbal reaction, the reason you're not giving it to me 90% of the time is you guys are fiercely writing. That's wonderful. But we got to take those notes home and do something with them. And you do. You take them back to your DLT groups. And, 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 and I know sometimes it's just tempting just to redo the outline. No, that's, that's too to say, okay, here's how I'm applying it. Pray for me in this area. Here's how I've had success. And then, so, attention, uh, meditation, and then the last one is obedience. To hear without obeying is to harden the heart. You know, write that down. To hear without obeying, all that does is harden your heart. And I fear that's where we are today. So many of us. For as Bishop Butler says, Passive impressions grow weaker by being repeated. But the acting on what we hear prepares us for being better hearers the next time and quickens the receptivity of the soul. Even among good hearers, however, there will be differences. Some will make more of their opportunities than others. Perhaps our Savior so frequently uh, used so frequently to conclude his divine discourses with he that has ears to hear had better listen in order to teach us that there is no employment of our faculties that more deserves their utmost attention than the scrutiny of divine truths. It's a good word from the old guys today. How to hear the word of God? Humility, submission, and prayer. It's another way to say those three things. Attention, meditation, and obedience. Humility, I need it. This, the Word of God has something to say to me that I don't, that, that 
I can't come up with on my own. Humility. Wow. The God of the universe has something to say to me. Submission. Whatever it says, I'm going to do. I'm not going to argue. I'm not even going to mull it over. I'm just going to obey. And then prayer. Did you know that the 119th Psalm is the longest chapter in the whole Bible? And it's all about God's word and how to receive it and how to be a good hearer and then ultimately a doer. And we need to pray that way. God, incline and enlarge my heart toward you. Psalm 119.36, incline my heart to your testimonies and I will run in the way of your commandments. Help me understand what I read. Is that a good prayer? Your pastor prays that every time I crack this book open. Lord, see my new student here. Help me understand what I'm about to read. Psalm 119.27, make me understand the way of your precepts and I will meditate on your wondrous works. But if you don't help me understand them, Lord, I'm out. Help me. Number three, make me diligent to keep your words. Diligent. Psalm 119.56, this blessing has fallen on me that I have kept your precepts. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Pour light on the path of my life. That's another part of the prayer. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Amen. Strengthen me in sorrow. My soul melts away for sorrow. Verse 28. Strengthen me according to your word. Shield me from every kind of distraction. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things, the writer says. Well, let me look at those worthless things, Lord, but only what matters to you. And give me life in your ways, Psalm 119.37. So in conclusion, let me share with you something that John Piper said about this. I thought it was great. He said, every day with meekness receive the word of God. That is, every day be in the Bible. Breathe the Bible. Don't try to hold your breath from Monday to Wednesday. Breathe every day. Receive with meekness the implanted word. Breathe in the wonder of having the words of God. Humble yourself and gladly submit before them. And pray for greater insight and delight. Take care how you hear and live in the pages of God's word. With heaven and hell at stake, joy and misery in the balance, and obstacles before us and within us, we must take care how we hear the words of God. How is your hearing today? Jesus begins and ends this parable with the word listen. Are you? Are you actively listening? Are you paying attention? Minimizing distraction? Taking notes? Are you taking the second step and going home and meditating on those notes all week long? I try to every Sunday before the end of the day post the audio of this sermon, not because it's such a great sermon but because it's such a great word from the Lord. Amen? So that you can go back and listen to it again and meditate on it and get every bit out of it that you can. To what end? That's the third point. So that you can obey ruthlessly. 
Breathe in God's word, not for knowledge's sake. James was right. Knowledge just puffs you up, makes you a prideful jerk. We don't need more knowledge. We need more wisdom. What is wisdom? Knowledge applied. We need obedience. Are you obeying the word? That's the question today. Pay attention. Meditate to the end of obeying. And I just wonder today what would happen if just this week in our daily Bible reading together, same page summer, if we approach it that way and we ruthlessly obey God's word, how would our worship be different next Sunday? I think it would. I think our lives would be different. And that's the norm that Jesus was after. We don't have to go to Jesus for the explanation of the parables or the word anymore. He's given us an inside Holy Spirit for that. What a beautiful truth. When we have the Holy Spirit, we have the key. Next week, I'm going to, even though it's Father's Day, and I'm going to have an eye to dads, but I'm going to talk about soil maintenance. We're going to look at the four soils of this parable. What do they mean? What's that mean to you and I? But today, we're talking about ears. Not these, but the ones that lead to here. How are your spiritual ears? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray. And then uh, we're going to sing our closing song, and then the doxology today. But I want you to think about that. How are, how's your hearing? And ask the Lord, how am I doing? Did I pay attention today? I want to do it. I want to hear. I want to listen. I want to meditate on the word that I heard today. Father God, we come to you today uh, humbled and also concerned for that verse 11 and 12 and 13. Scary stuff in there. That these parables and even your whole word is just not accessible to people who are not going to respond to it. May that not be us, not anybody in this room. Would you make us wise to not only hear the word with our ears, but to breathe it in, as Brother Piper said, not to hold our breath until next Sunday, but to breathe in your word every day, to meditate after we've paid attention, to, to regurgitate your word that was declared today. To ask you, how is our hearing? To ask our closest relationships, how, how do you think I'm doing hearing God's word and applying it? And then to ruthlessly put it into practice in our homes, in our hearts, to the end that you might be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.